Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to all of you here in person and those watching from home. We're welcome everyone that are, is gathering uh, in whichever place, in whichever manner, uh, for Palm Sunday. Wasn't that great having the children up here? It's beautiful. Have, have the parade again of kids this Palm Sunday. Well, today we're going to conclude our series, Knowing God. We started at the beginning of the year, a series that swept through Scripture of understanding the characteristics, the attributes, the insights that we have of who God is. Biblical Christianity, theology, 13 sermons on the the major themes of understandings of the nature and character of God. Creation, covenant, promise, redemption, and this morning, restoration. So we started in, in the book of Genesis, and so it's fitting this morning we're going to end in the book of Revelation. Ah, oh, remember when we did this, I said, if we learn one thing, we don't add an S to it. It's not Revelations. You're not making a reservation. It's Revelation. That's right. <laughs> Through the series, we've learned so much of, of who God is, but we're also learning in light of who God is, who we are. Insights of human nature. Who are we? Why are we here? What purpose do we serve? And how will God make things right of all that's messed up in our world? We've seen all of that in the story that God is writing. History, his story, what God is doing. And today we conclude with an understanding of the kingdom of God, that God reigns. I mentioned the book of Revelation. I hope those of you who were here for that series learned more than how to say the word Revelation. Revelation, apocalypse, that means the unveiling. Uh, That was a year and a half ago, if you recall. Uh, We started that the fall of 2019 when we introduced our We Are Family uh, vision and mission plan for the next five years. The same plan I gave you an update on just last week. And what a strange time to be going through the book of Revelation when the pandemic hit. And I remember preaching out of this passage we're going to look at this morning It was the Sunday after Easter, and the only people that were allowed in the sanctuary that day were those members of the praise team. And now look look around, look at everyone here, look at more chairs, more people praise the Lord for that. That was the hardest sermon series I've ever preached. (laughs) The most demanding one, and the the one with the the biggest um, risk-reward. I'd spent all that summer studying the book of Revelation and the Old Testament. You can't understand the last book of the Bible without also knowing the Old Testament. Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah. I said this once, I said a thousand times. The book of Revelation doesn't have have something new. It has things that have were told before in the Old Testament, just told in a new way that need to be interpreted. The strange symbols and symbolic language that we need to makes sense of, first, what's the symbolic meaning of this phrase or this description of what is being seen before we apply it to the literal on-the-ground means of life. And I asked the congregation uh, way back when, how many of you, I had asked for a show of hands, how many had, had sat through a sermon series in the book of Revelation? In church, and I, I think maybe we had one or two people that raised their hand. It's the book in Scripture that Christians are most interested and fascinated to know more about, and it's the one preachers are least interested in preaching. Why? Because it's 
hard. It's complicated. It's a little bizarre. The imagery is violent and scary. And most pastors say, I'm just going to take a pass on this one. There's too much risk in going through this very complicated and scary book. Well, what's the reward? Well, what is the reward, church? We went deep into God's word. The book of Revelation has the most vivid insights into knowing God, into seeing the risen, reigning Lord Jesus more than any other text in scripture. And so we took that risk together and we dove in deep. I believe God brought a great return on that investment. I truly do. Besides, who would skip the end of a story? You ever read like a giant book or like a series of books? You, I, I decide not to read the end. Like, you're not going to read the end of the story? You're not going to read how it turns out? You would commit to 12 seasons of your favorite TV show not to watch the season series finale? This is the series finale. Revelation taught us there's more going on behind the scenes beyond what the unaided eye can see. John is writing from the island of Patmos. He's been sent there as a political dissident. He's been sent there basically to crack rocks and die eventually because he's he's caused so much trouble to the Roman Empire. John demonstrated his faith and allegiance to King Jesus by not giving an offering at the temple to the empire. No, he said kingdom before empire. As we would say, kingdom before country. And for that, he was sent to an island to die. And he looks across the Aegean Sea, and he imagines seeing the seven churches there that are struggling, being persecuted, being attacked from the outside and from the inside, fighting with one another. And Jesus appears to him and gives him a series of visions to write down and to encourage the first century church as we are encouraged today in the 21st century church. Symbolic language. I'm going to read this in just a moment. It's going to be way out there for those of you who haven't read it. What is going on? But we'll see these symbols are represented in the whole story of God. They go back to the beginning. The breadcrumbs, if you will. The insights that the Lord God inspired those writers of the Old Testament, those prophecies, now here coming to their full meaning in the book of Revelation. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's one commandment that's repeated 19 times. The singular commandment, the number one thing we're to do, the most important action is to look, to behold, to see Jesus. We're not told to worship. We're not told to go witness. We're not told to serve people. We're not even told to love. We're told to look and to see this beautiful image of Jesus. John's telling us that in seeing Jesus first and beholding him in his glory and looking up from the mess of our lives, the craziness of the world, the attacks from outside and within, if you look up and you look at Jesus reigning supreme, then you can go and witness and serve and even love like never before. I'm going to read to us uh, from our 
ESV journal Bibles. Uh, we, we had these uh, for that series. It was amazed how many of these were picked up by our congregation. You can pick one of these up as well because our next series will be in the book of Ephesians, God's New Society. Ephesians, God's New Society, coming right after our Easter series. And we will have these ESV study booklets available uh, for $5 just to cover the cost of it. It has the text on one side and space on the other side for notes. So uh, you can see I don't have any notes here because it was all on the page and, and hopefully in my head. Listen now to God's word. This is the end of the story, folks. This is where we're headed. Revelation 19, verse 11 to 21. Listen now to God's word. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, those are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that flying directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw a beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet, who is in its presence, has done the signs by which he deceived those who have received the mark of the beast and those who worship its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who is sitting on the horse. All the birds were gorged with their flesh. The word, the powerful, scary word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the, the text is divided into three sections with the phrase, I saw. You see that in verse 11, 17, and 19. And you have a bulletin outline for you. You'll, see, you'll notice that there's a large section for those first verses of the glory of the king. That will take up two-thirds of today's message where John's just basking in, in the, the beauty, the splendor, and, and, and the fury of God. Have you ever been by the ocean's edge when there's a great swell coming in and massive waves crashing? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's also scary, isn't it? You want to back up a little bit. And then verses 17 to 18, the great supper of God, and verses 19 to 21, the victory of our king. I know this is just jumping right into a series we did long ago, and so we're sort of jumping in the, the deep end, but follow with me if you will. Part one, John sees and wants us to see the risen, reigning Christ. He wants us to see how things will work out, the glory of Christ. And in these six verses, we have an extraordinary description of Jesus. And it's tied 
to the Old Testament and it's tied to the earliest chapters of Revelation with figurative language, symbolic language. Look at verse 11. Behold, he's riding a white horse. Palm Sunday, our Lord rode into town on a humble donkey and the people sang Hosanna. They, they sang of the Savior to come. They believed that one would come like David to be a political leader, didn't they? But he was not the leader they were expecting. And within a week, those same ones that were crying Hosanna were crying for him to be crucified. They did not know. They didn't have eyes to see who it was that was riding in on that humble donkey. But here, at the end of time, all will see, know, and acknowledge the one who comes on a great war horse to bring war against his enemies. What a powerful sign to those early Christians in the first century and to first 21st century Christians. Jesus is our hero. Friends, he's the hero of every Bible story. The, the stories that our kids are learning upstairs in Sunday school, at the end of every story, when the kid says, the, parent, uh, the teacher says, so what do you think the story's about? And the kid says, Jesus? They're right. They're basically right. It's all pointing to Jesus. He is called faithful and true. That means that Jesus is the leader who is 100% reliable. He will never let us down. That's good news, is it not? Verse 12, his eyes are like a flaming fire. Now again, we don't take that literally. There's not flames coming out. There's not laser beams. It's not Superman. What's the, what's the symbolic meaning of fire coming from one's eyes? It means that his, his gaze is penetrating. He sees you. He sees your circumstance, your predicament, there's not a situation or circumstance that you find yourself in that he does not see exactly what's going on. He sees you and he sees through you. That flame is a flame of purity, of absolute holiness. He sees through all of the ways we try to shade, deflect, change the subject, all the ways we try to compartmentalize, all the ways we try to self-rationalize. Well, this is who I am on Sundays, but this is who I am in my private life. He sees it all, and he calls us out on those ways to take them away from us. On his head are many diadems. A diadem is just a fancy word for crowns. Now, who could wear more than one crown? I don't know. You put like a you used to get like crowns from Burger King, right? You could put one on, maybe two, maybe a third. No, no. So again, it, it's what's the deeper, wider possibility of meaning here? It means that this one, with a capital O, is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is large and in charge. He is all-powerful. And all the things we know of God in Jesus Christ... And the New Testament will spell out for us, and Paul will help us understand. Remember, Paul is writing, the apostle is writing before the words of the Gospels were even written down. He's helping us understand to see Jesus is to see God who is invisible to us, who is spirit. And yet, of all the attributes, of all the things that we could have a whole conversation about, the attributes and character of Jesus, he has a name no one knows but himself. There are still yet mysteries of who God is. There are moments in life when the smartest, wisest thing to say is nothing 
just to bear witness in the midst of grief and loss and heartache and suffering, to be present, to keep our mouths shut. Job's friends, Job's friends were doing a great job up until and when they began to speak. <laughs> the apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 9.15, and he's writing from Ephesus, from prison, near to his death for Christ. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Lord Jesus is indescribable. We see here he is he's faithful, holy, majestic, transcendent, and incomprehensible. And Rob's saying there won't be another. That's our king. He's coming in glory. And we celebrate that glory this Easter Sunday, won't we? And we celebrate that glory whenever we come together on the Lord's Day because this is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Sunday's the first day of the week. Sunday, every Sunday throughout the year is a day to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But we're not there yet. Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. This is a time to prepare for the coming of the king, but we're not there yet. First, we need to make it through the supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples and the mandate to love one another. And before we get to the triumph and the glory and the hallelujahs of Easter Sunday, we need to come together to commemorate and to mark Good Friday the suffering of the Savior. Look at verse 13. John sees that this great warrior who's coming to make war, to come to judge, it says that his robe is dipped in blood. As I said, there are many Old Testament references, quite a few, in particular to the book of Isaiah, one of my biggest uh, Feedbacks from the series was I, I talked too fast with the scripture references, so I won't try not to talk too fast, but I will say that if you were to turn to Isaiah chapter 63, there, hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, some 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah is given by the Holy Spirit, prompting to prophesy, to record, and he sees through a glass dimly, if you will, the Messiah whose robes have the blood of his enemies. That's how Isaiah interprets what he sees. He has a vision. That must be what it is. But in Revelation 19 that we just read, the final revelation before the canon is closed, the battle has not been fought yet. So whose blood is on his robes? The blood on Jesus' robes is his own blood spilled at Calvary. Jesus Christ, the king who reigns, he reigns not because he came to fight the way men fight. He did not fulfill the, the hopes and dreams of those people that first Palm Sunday to come and, and push out Rome by force and battle. He came by dying on a cross to have victory, to win our salvation. It's the blood on the cross 
that we see here on his ropes, the lamb that was slain. All of the biblical framework, all of the Old Testament study that we've had, the narratives, all the the through line, the scarlet through line that points to Jesus here conquering his enemies, making war against his enemies, and we say, heck yeah, kick him, Jesus. It's the shedding of his own blood. It's sacrifice. And John invites us, come and see your Savior and then follow in the way of the Lamb. Be willing to lay down your life. Sacrifice. Lose. Do you realize God might be calling you in your life to lose? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe God is large and in charge? What if his calling in your life is that you will not amount to anything according to the world's standards? What if that's God's plan for you. I will use your suffering and hardship, your loss, for my glory. Do you still believe? Would you still trust in that God? You will be thrown into prison. Your home will be burned. Your children will be separated from you because the empire has deemed it so. Yet you will remain faithful to me because I am about something greater and bigger than you can possibly see. How would those first century Christians take that message? How about 21st century Christians? That's the message here. The meaning is if we trust Jesus by his blood shed, then we, our robes, will be made white. Look at those riding with him. They're wearing all white. If we trust in him, then his blood was shed for us But if we refuse him as Lord and sovereign king, the message of Revelation, the most unpopular message from any pulpit in the United States of America this Sunday on Palm Sunday, people will either be saved by the blood of Jesus through faith in him, or they will be judged and will pay for their sins by their own blood. One way or another, all sin will be punished. Multiple titles for Jesus in this passage. The first one, verse 11, faithful and true. Verse 12, a name he only knows. Verse 13, the word of God. It means that it's a sign that when the judgment comes, it will be final. No appeals court. There is no such thing as purgatory. No turning back. Verse 14, the the armies of heaven Arrayed in fine linen, we'll come back to that one, white and pure, we're following him on horseback. So now imagine this. The armies are gathered at this field. They are gathered at Armageddon to have this battle. And there's one army that's decked out ready to fight. They've got their tactical gear. They are loaded for bear, right? How about the other army? How are they dressed? They're dressed for like a summer tea party or something. Linen? White linen? Like, is that what you wear when you're, you're going to a fight? Where they, you, don't, you don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight, right? You, don't, you certainly don't wear linen to the cosmic battle that will decide all the fate of human history. How could these witnesses, and the word witness also means martyr, how could these martyrs and these angels be dressed in linen? Because they know whose team they're on. They know the king 
doesn't need any help. They get to just sit back and watch and see how it happens. Like 4th of July, they're, they're going to see the fireworks, but these are going to be real battles that are going to happen in an instant. And in a moment, we'll look at it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15, and, and following, I'll go quickly. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And again, I will say quickly, this is fulfilling various prophecies, Isaiah 11 and 49 and Psalm 2. How he rules, how will the king rule? What does it mean to have the sword coming from his mouth? Is that meant to be literal? No, no, symbolic. What is it? It's the word of Jesus is powerful. That's what it means. So the struggle, the hardship, those circumstances you're finding yourself in that you're thinking, oh my goodness, what will I do? What can I do for my family? Our circumstance, you pray in the strong name of Jesus and there is power in his blood. That's what it means in a nutshell. He has ridden King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This would put the fear of God literally in the Roman Empire. And then we have this graphic ending. That's part one, part two, very quickly, the great supper of God. This nightmare scene referencing Ezekiel 39 of how all those in power, all those enemies of God's people, all those powers and principalities that ruled and won and stole from God's people and used and mistreated and manipulated good people trying to trust Jesus. It says here they will be ultimately judged. Not a popular message. Not a popular message. But without the judgment, there is no world of peace or truth or justice. Terror, represented by the beast, and propaganda, represented by the false prophet, will be overcome. And evil will be separated from good. And truth will be separated from the lies. And darkness will be separated from the light. The violence that we see in Scripture, that we so often want to clutch our pearls and say, oh, don't read that part of the Bible. It's the very violence that wins victory over the power of sin, death, and darkness. It's the viciousness, the violence of the cross. You imagine we have an instrument of execution at the center of our sanctuary to make right the ultimate wrong. The scandal that God in human form himself, fully God and fully man, would pay that ultimate price for us. In the end, not all will believe. And so we have the opportunity as we watch that reverse psychology of that opening video that we saw, if you're, still, if you're watching the very beginning of our live stream, sort of reverse psychology. Don't invite people to church. No, don't, don't do They're fine. If you've gotten nothing out of the series, then just head knowledge about knowing God. But it hasn't brought a burning sensation in your heart, the opportunity, the last moments we have to share the good news before it's too late? That your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, your classmates, this might be their last Easter, this side of heaven? 
if it doesn't burn in our heart to have the opportunity to reach out for Easter Sunday, of all Sundays of the year and of all Easter's in my lifetime, then this Sunday, I don't know what there is. The final section titled Victory of the King, verses 19 to 21, I'll just read very briefly to you and just explain. The battle lines are drawn. You've got the, the battle army of the evil one. You've got the king on his right horse and a whole array of, of saints and angels wearing uh, spring wear. And it's over in an instant. In an instant, the beast is captured along with a false prophet. They're thrown into the pit, the lake of fire. This is Armageddon. This is meant to bring hope. It's meant to spur faith. It's meant to help hurting Christians keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. And when I preached this sermon last year, in the midst of the beginnings of the pandemic, when we were all very, very scared of what was to come, and now we're not so scared. The warning was this, be warned, people. These things that happen in the world are repetitive. The ways that the evil one works are repetitive. They seek to divide people. They seek to manipulate people. They play upon our fears. They play upon our greed. And what have we seen in a year's time? My application last year, I said, number one, don't believe the hype. Did anyone remember that? Sorry, I seeing the little public ending. The lies of the world, don't believe, believe the king. I said, be radically committed to the king. Be radically committed to your new identity as kingdom people, willing to lay down your lives, to give up your rights. I said, members of the kingdom don't care about our rights. We care about our righteousness. I said that a year ago. I said, look and see our king and follow his marching orders daily. How have we been doing in a year's time? Our king rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. The people celebrated, but they didn't know what they were celebrating. One day soon, he will return. And everyone will know exactly what's happening. At the end of the story, Christ the King, the faithful one, will return to finally not only save his people, not only bring judgment to his enemies, but to bring restoration. Our God reigns. I invite Rob and the team to come out. And as they get settled, I just want to say three final thoughts on this series, and then we'll pray, and then we'll be, we'll be done. First, these are three things about God. Number one, God is the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is how God self-identifies. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Unlike the gods of any other religion, the one true God has chosen of his own sovereign will to elect a particular group of people simply because he wills to do so. And it's not because of their righteousness. In fact, just the opposite. There are a bunch of messed up people. Any messed up people out there? Should I be the first one to raise my hand? Unworthy? Second, God is the God revealed most fully and definitively in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I invite you to come back or to watch online this Friday at 7 and then Easter Sunday at 9 or 10.45. We have a lot of people here this morning at the service. If you're regulars, I'd invite you to come to the first service if you can so we have room. 
the universe sees in the gruesome death of the member of the Trinity, the hope of glory. So we have to have Good Friday before we get to Easter Sunday. And third and finally, it all comes full circle, friends, to my first message. God is the triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All at work in this world, writing the story, and you are part of that story. He's written your part to play. God will purge this world of evil once and for all. Our job is to look and see him and then follow his marching orders. Amen.